0: Let's talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. Yeah, 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 feel like I'm made out of gingerbread, Uh uh-huh.
1: From and lip lickin' gingerbread. Uh, uh-huh. uh uh-huh. 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 Can't think about rainy weather now. I finally got myself together now, fresh out of the pan, sweet gingerbread man. Hello, and welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're taking a look at Hawkeye, first seen in November 2021, when, if you wanted to look clever in front of your friends, you could have watched Blade Runner Black Lotus, I literally just told you, or The Queen Family Sing Along instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I made of Hawkeye shortly. Meanwhile, joining us to give her thoughts on Hawkeye is board game expert Vicky Gregorich, Vicky, where can people find you?
0: You can find me on Twitter at IHeartBigFace.
1: Okay, so before we go any further, Vicky, what happens in Hawkeye?
0: Hawkeye is the story of what happens to Hawkeye and his family after the Avengers has all settled down. And his meeting of a young woman called Kate who has hero worshipped him in such a way as that she has tried to emulate his skills and abilities basically. They meet up, they learn some things about each other and they have a ripe old adventure in New York.
1: Okay, so Vicky, how much did you know about Kate Bishop before you saw Hawkeye?
0: Nothing at all.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know you knew plenty about Clint Barton because I've just got to bring this up. When you were on here talking about the first Thor film, you referred to Hawkeye as the worst Avenger when I asked you what you would do if you had Thor's hammer, you said you would use it to hit Jeremy (laughs) Renner. I'll ask you in a second whether you were still of that opinion, but I really like the fact that they used, well, the fact that he is the least popular of the main six Avengers by some distance with the viewing audience. They use that as a starting point, but the story here, it's all about after everything's finished, he's kind of left on his own in the musical about Captain America that they go to see. He's kind of, Hawkeye's really just a walk-on, like a chorus line bloke, really. He's got hearing problems where, I mean, you know, he could, say, go to Bruce banner or somebody and say can you give me something to fix this but he's not done and is it out of is he too proud or is it out of guilt over what happened to Natasha but then we meet this young woman who is hero worshipping because of what he did and what I really loved about this was you know he isn't able to call on the other superheroes to help him so who does he turn to it's fans including a group of live-action role players who hero worship him as well and all these people originally introduced us almost as joke characters like Kate kind of is at first it's first thing we see of her is she's getting suspended from university for like arrow shooting a bell from a tower which then collapses but over the course of the series they actually become you know the people who are there for him and really rally when he needs them and treat him as a leader basically yeah
0: and I think What's really really interesting about Hawkeye and what this show really demonstrated to me is there is a point to Hawkeye really because he is not superpowered. If you were a real person in a real situation there he would be someone you looked up to, he would be someone you wanted to emulate because he can do what he does just through being skilled. There's nothing else there. So you would want to emulate him or, or, you know, if you felt the need to be a superhero, he's the one you'd go for because he's got teachable skills. There are things you could learn from him. You could observe him and do something with it. You couldn't do that with Iron Man. You can't. Nobody's going to make a nanobots. You know, you can't be genetically re-engineered like Captain America. You're not going to expose yourself to gamma radiation and become the Hulk. You're not going to be a god. And even Natasha's storyline is very clandestine, taken away and picked at and poked at. Whereas Hawkeye actually is a self-made person and you could emulate it and why wouldn't you? And that's really admirable about Kate as a character. She's gone, I saw him, he did something amazing. I could do that too and that's true leadership that's true hero worship and it's very it's good to see so although i'm still not a massive fan of jeremy renner because i think he looks like mr potato head and he's a bit of a dickhead actually clint barton i get that now and i like hawkeye again Oh well, not again. I like okay. He's still the worst Avenger.
1: <laughs> well, that really mirrors the fact that this was, out of all the Disney Plus series they announced, it was one I was the least excited about by far. Because, you know, I was looking at the list and was thinking, I can't believe they're doing a Moonlight series, Ms Marvel's coming up, Loki, you know, what happened to him after he disappeared through time? How are they going to do what if on screen? I don't understand that at all. And I was just kind of thinking, oh yeah. Hawkeye, because you know, I was never that mad at Hawkeye in the comics anyway. He was a bit second fiddle. I'd never really liked him in the films, and there's that bit that people always come back to on the show from Avengers 80 Voltron where his family are in it, and that scene is the last for about seven years and it slows everything down. I was kind of dreading that because they announced that the family would all be in it as well, but they actually really work in this. I mean, there is the fact that his kids are still older than him. That should even be more of an issue now, given that they've disappeared for five years during the snap. But they are still all older than him, and that's just how it is. But here, They're used really well. They're part of the plot in that, although he dismisses them quite early out of the action, that he wants to get back to them for Christmas because he's missed... Well, obviously, they haven't missed all that time with him, but he's missed all that time with them. That's his main motivation. And initially, you kind of see Cases getting in the way of that a bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's really fascinating about Hawkeye and Clint Barton is they're not afraid of the fact that he is actually just a person with a family. And with that comes a whole series of things that you must do you must protect your family you must look after them you must address their individual needs you know he has a different relationship with all three of his children because they're different ages and different genders and they need different things from him and you know superhero movies don't really do a lot of that usually you know someone will be in peril and they've got to save them but actually the reality of being a father or a parent being in a family unit it's actually more complex subtle and more boring than that some of it's just I've promised my kid a tractor that kid will moan for six years if I don't do it so that is what I have to do that is what being a dad is and I think it was really really good to see an element of that in here I think the other big thing really is that, you know, Clint is a human. He isn't superpowered. He has suffered very badly. He's suffered very mentally badly. He's got PTSD. I believe he's in part deaf because of the gunshots and the big crash bangs of everything because he's just a person and he's suffering for what he did and he doesn't see it as a good thing to do or something that people should follow him into doing. You don't get the impression that being a hero was a good thing at all and you can see why Kate's enthusiasm for it is actually, a little bit grating. He certainly doesn't want his own children to do it, and he doesn't want this girl he doesn't know at all to do it either because he didn't get much out of it himself.
1: I do wonder if part of the reason all of that worked out so well is that I didn't know until recently they were working on the series for an unusually long amount of time because it was actually apparently. When they were talking about moving the TV shows to Disney Plus, the first thing they pitched was the Hawkeye series. And independently of that, I mean the original Six Avengers all signed on to do the group films, but at least one solo film each, and it didn't quite work out that way because With the Hulk, there were the rights problems. Mm. There was a whole weird thing which nobody's quite got to the bottom of about Black Widow, about why that took so long. The rumour is that there was somebody high up in Disney who was a very prominent donor to a very prominent American with very prominently bad hair, Mm -hmm. and that Scarlett Johansson had been very vocal about a certain election, and that he kind of repeatedly stifled attempts to put her in the lead role because of that. Funnily enough, it goes into production when he leaves Disney, so Mm. Let's just say it's well-founded speculation, but I think with Hawkeye, they've just realised he'd not quite taken off with audiences. And apparently, independently that, in between, Jeremy Renner had been thinking, well, hang on, if I get my own film, they're going to have to bring in this Kate, this younger Hawkeye. They're going to have to explore what Clint was doing during the snap and a number of other things. It's probably going to have to be more about the family, more about Laura, his wife. How are they going to do that in two hours? And then almost, you know, they were apologetic to him, saying, I'm sorry, we're doing the series and said, I know Black Widow's getting their own film. but And he was like, kind of, well, that's six episodes to tell that across. That suits it much better. And apparently he was all for it. So you'd had that long gestation period. and there are things like, now people do think it's Rhys Thomas the Comedian, it's not, it's another Welsh bloke who is also exactly the same age, (laughs) but he's a director who's previously worked on things like Saturday Night Live and the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and it's interesting that they clearly thought we need a comedy director for this and it's now been nominated in the Emmys in Best Comedy Series. It's also Bert and Bertie who are a UK based female directing team who will come back to what I consider their major contribution later. Jonathan I think it's Eager I think it's pronounced the lead writer said because they wanted it all along to be set at Christmas and there have been even though it was first pitched in Twenty nineteen, they couldn't get they didn't want anyone else but Hayley Steinfeld to be Kate and she was locked into an contract for another film she was doing and then the pandemic happened and so they had this rigid kind of idea when it had to go out when it had to be made and he was kind of thinking well most people would be expecting me if it's Christmas themed to be looking at It's a Wonderful Life and things like that and instead he thought we should look at Hallmark Family Channel Christmas films you know the sort of ones you get on Channel 5 from October onwards (laughs) yeah think it all really paid off because of that
0: I agree and I actually I think kind of the cheekiness of Hayley Stanfield or Kate Bishop really played to more of a home alone Christmas vibe for me yes it kind of <laughs> had that more sort of not gentle family film but you know genuinely aimed at something that a family would enjoy together and I think what was really nice I agree that a two hour film wouldn't have done this I think a series did this very well because it allowed the family to exist in a space that made sense they felt like a real family you know they took the mick out of each other they showed the demands of parents, the difficulties of things that are at Christmas that just make everything harder. What I really, really liked about it is it had that sort of element of cheekiness that Home Alone had, which is a, a wonderful Christmas film, and it really, really suited this sensibility. It got comedy in. It makes it a very accessible show, I think. You could watch this with your mum, you could watch it with your kids, you could watch it with your partner, because its it's got something really good, and I think it really suits Disney as well. I think this is the first Avengers thing that is aimed at an all-family audience, whereas I think lots of Avengers stuff is just aimed at teenage boys or you know very specific people. This series, anybody could watch it and, and really get something out of it.
1: Well one thing that was very Home Alone about it, something that I love, I've not really seen other people mention, which is what they did with the Trick Arrows, because yeah. in the movies they're generally just kind of, they're action devices, Yeah, you know, there's some great set pieces but they are what they are, they're functional. Here, at the same time as that, there's a lot of humour involved. In particular, there's the one that basically sprays out silly putty everywhere. There's the scene where he fires what appears to be just an arrow with a sucker on the end of it and Kate makes some sarcastic remarks about it. You later find out why he did that. But the absolute best bit for me, there's an enlarging and shrinking one which doesn't quite work as he expected to and he mentions it is made for him by Ant-Man. Now, that's exactly what you expect of Scott. You know, something that's technically brilliant but does not work in the way you want it to and I, that had me insane stitches
0: that yeah absolutely and it definitely says you know even to the Avengers Hawkeye is a second class citizen he doesn't deserve the right tech you know that speaks to his (laughs) how they see him too
1: and there's so many other hilarious bits in it like there's when he's trying to plan an elaborate getaway and Kate just orders an Uber and at the same time as being funny that's a good plot device because her point is well we're away in seconds and also they can track us through Uber but Uber are tracking them as well and if they follow us we can get nearer to them there's when he's bemoaning his lot as a non-public figure and she points to somebody and say, look you know there's happy photo taken with Hawkeye and he says no that's this Everdee for the Hunger Games <laughs> but in particular does the rapport between the tracksuit mafia kind of the main henchman gang in this who i mean they're like the sort of gangs that were in the netflix shows like daredevil Lion Fist, the punisher and so on and whereas you know they had their own kind of humor it was a very dark bleak style of humor I mean, the thing i always come back to is in the punisher where he basically corners turk barrett at the underworld fence and says give me every gun you've got and the only one he's got is a pink diamond studded one that gangsters ordered for his daughter's 18th birthday they've got this believable kind of to them it's a job even though they're trying to take down an Avenger, the way they cope with that is with their little disagreements with each other, making fun of each other, and so on. I really, really like that.
0: I did too, and I've often wondered, you know, when you see a James Bond film or a Batman film, like the Canon fodder henchmen. There's always so many of them. And you just kind of think, oh, what, what's happened? Oh, bet his girlfriend's gonna be really sad. Oh, his head's been chopped off. It's actually really nice this to kind of go. Actually, they're real people. <laughs> you know, they may have clearly made some poor decisions in life to be henchmen as a job you know what have you got on your CV but you know there's an element you kind of go yeah they are real people they've got mums that love them <laughs> it was really really nice for them just to have a little bit of personality and a little bit of life and it is a, you never see that in films that's just that just never happens I think the best you do actually the guys in the Guardians of the Galaxy you know some of those henchmen they have little personalities and stuff but yeah it is, it's lovely to see and it really brings something to this it really it's not just the humour I think it's the humanity is a lovely thing
1: well Apparently Matt Fraction, who was the Marvel writer who really did the most developed Kate as a character originally was going to, he was supposed to be playing one of them but he couldn't because of the pandemic which is a bit of a shame but mentioning kind of absurdly humorous characters with a pronounced regional tint to them I've got to mention they have to stand out the whole series for me. Jacques the swordsman who is based on a very early Marvel character who I think was originally part of the circus of crime and they later kind of retconned it that he'd been Hawkeye's mentor when Clint was young and they really only use him really when they need somebody who could sword fight him because there's not that much to him. Mm. But here, they've made him this like, they've played up the aristocratic edge to him and you know, the French ancestry and they've made him this wonderfully, lovably absurd character who, when he's really needed, he really steps up, he keeps away The tracksuit mafia, Yelena and numerous other parties outside the building just by swinging his swords about. So, you know, when he's needed, he might still be being absurd and making people laugh without realising he's doing it. But he's really there for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are two main things for me about Jack. The first is that he is the first person that tells Kate she doesn't know everything just because she knows a bit of sword fighting. She's young and some stuff just comes with experience when he bests her. You know, we are sort of led to believe that, you know, he's a terrible person because he's doing this but actually he's making a point that a more experienced person knows stuff and she is terribly precocious. It's a wonderful thing but she is precocious and he kind of puts her in place. I really like that. But my second thing all the way through was that he reminded me so much of Toast of London. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I find myself, do, found myself doing Toast quotes whenever he was on the screen.
1: I loved him though. Well, I could great. wonder, given you know the provenance of the directing team, whether he was inspired by Toast, because he has the visual look as well.
0: He does, and and his way of his over pomposity thing was fantastic, and that's so Toast. It wouldn't have surprised me at all if Matt Berry had been put forward for that part, and then just went, "You want me to play Toast of London?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, before we move on to some of the surprises in this, and are a lot of them. I think we really need to say more about Kate. I think Mm. Hayley Steinfeld absolutely really suits the role. It's interesting that she's also the voice of Gwen in the Spider-Verse animations and now that, it's still not quite clear what they're doing but they've established that that universe is tangential to the main Marvel Cinematic Universe and actually one thing that actually Gabby Hutchinson Crouch brought it up in the chat about Spider-Man No Way Home was that that is set at the same time as Hawkeye and he swings past Banner for Rogers the Musical. Why wasn't Racine where he like swung past him? oh hi Clint you know <laughs> you know this is the thing they use the Christmas decorated part of the action when he's sliding down the massive Christmas tree. Yeah. That really should have happened but yeah what's her relation to Gwen that's going to be interesting but I think I mean I thought she was great ever since she was in the Coen Brothers remake of True Grit which I yeah. think everyone has sort of forgotten about now but yeah. she's gone from strength of strength since then but this was kind of almost the role she was born to play and while you know they seem to be bringing a lot of the young Avengers in because Patriot was so have been the Falcon and the Winter Soldier obviously Wanda's kids are around they are bringing in America Chavez and Ms. Marvel and Kid Loki obviously being been in it as well and that's what they're giving her up for but I think she deserves something much bigger as well yeah
0: I agree and I think if they're not setting her up to be the leader of the Avengers in some way they are making a massive mistake but yeah I mean I agree with you she was incredible in True Grit considering especially who the other actors were and the provenance of that story and the directors she was still a shining star in that film she is an incredible actress seeing her in this how she has a beautiful combination of being incredibly physically able to do all of that stuff her face is very expressive but her voice is very pleasing to listen to as well you know she's a lot of what she does is precocious and whiny and privileged but you never at all feel irritated with her you mostly just can see that clint is irritated with her but also incredibly charmed by her she is absolutely perfect she couldn't be better cast if she tried and the main thing for me is i hope they do enough with that character to honor that actress because she's honestly fantastic
1: and we also got lucky the pizza dog which i wasn't expecting
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can't go wrong with the pizza dog <laughs> <laughs> the Hulk is
1: Chitauri. That gets warmer when we're done Just how will we to fight them? We'll do it as a team First go, unleash your lightning Then Natasha, that's your cue yeah. surprises in this and I because there are some if you look on the actress on Disney plus there are some deleted scenes where she features more heavily and they kind of trim them out and I think that's because they took the decision while we're making this Maya Lopez echo it's interesting you know you've got Clint suffering from hearing problems and both brought in although they don't really explore this what she does she's a deaf character who whereas Daredevil's blindness made his other senses stronger hers is that she can copy what people are doing physically more easily that's why she's such a good fighter and so on is that her brains more hard wired to I don't know if muscle memory is quite the right term but you know to emulate what people are doing she can learn skills very quickly that way and here she's kind of just for the most part marshalling the tracksuit mafia but you find out more and more what her relevance to the plot is down the line and they are now doing an Echo series and apparently that was just because she impressed them so much I really thought she suited the role as well
0: I did too I think they were incredibly forward thinking in casting her because the character is uh, Native American descent the character does have multiple disabilities those people are hugely underrepresented and over stereotyped when they do appear they're over stereotyped they don't appear very often what was absolutely incredible is that they really played to her strengths because clearly as a deaf actress her abilities are going to be much more about how she moves how she holds herself choreography in the whole of the show was incredible but particularly for her sort of incorporating the fact that one of her legs doesn't move in the same way as other people's legs and her other leg that her facial expressions and her hand movements were going to be much much more important and they it felt like they embraced it It felt like they really played to that. You know, I I felt really strong parallels for her acting and the acting of Christopher Lee as Dracula, who he never sort of really acted so much as he used his presence, his physicality, his face to convey a lot of things without saying anything. And I think this actress did the same thing. I would be absolutely fascinated to watch a show about that character, Echo. And I'm going to say I didn't understand that that's what her power was until you said so just then. But I would be very, very interested in seeing a show from her perspective, a show where you can't hear anything, a show where you get to see how the world works for a person who has a disability in a world that isn't disabled. I thought it was brilliant. I loved how you could see hurt and anger And frustration all just through a very gentle movement with her eyes she was it was fantastic and I'm really really glad they made that show it made that show possible to do
1: well speaking of last-minute decisions one really interesting thing that's emerged is we do get Yelena in this Natasha's sister first seen in Black Widow initially coming to kill Clint as revenge for what she was led to believe was him killing her in Avengers Endgame although you know she later believes in that's not what happened But, you know, I love Florence Pugh and her interpretation of that role anyway. And I love the fact that, you know, after the Black Widow conditioning was removed from her in Black Widow, her true character slowly emerged over the film. Her bickering sort of relationship with her sister came back and so on. Here, her character development comes out more and more. Particularly her kind of weariness about what she's got to do. We also find out that she was snapped and she reappeared in the house of a former Widow. She'd been trying to deprogram, which is as funny a scene as it is, quite disturbing but what I didn't know although thinking about it it all makes sense is that I mean because obviously Black Widow wrapped in I think early 2019 and it wasn't done much later on They decided that her next appearance would be in Hawkeye. That she was perfect for what they wanted to do was part of the storyline. People have already asked lots of questions about what was going on with the post-credits in Black Widow. Why there was one scene short? Why there was Mm -hmm. that one at the end where she looked so different? Apparently, that was like when they put her in Hawkeye. They were like, "Oh, we better like do a post-credits scene for Black Widow to set that up." Yeah. So you know, there's now the whole question of what originally was supposed to be going on at the end of Black Widow. Maybe they just don't want us to know because they changed direction but I was really glad to see her again because I think she's fantastic
0: yeah I mean she has really embrace that part and Florence Pugh is an unbelievable actress and I think she's the sort of person we'll be talking about in about 40 years time the same when we talk about Catherine Hepburn I genuinely believe that I think she's absolutely fantastic this character is lovely what she really reminded me of was what it was like for women coming through the me too movement where women started working out how to be allies to other women and you could see loads of that with Yelena she wants to be an ally to Kate Bishop she doesn't want to get she wants to encourage kate bishop to be all she can be all the while understanding that she has something to do and for her to want to find that sisterly alliance to be an ally to women when she has been working in a world where she has been controlled by men and her eyes have been opened is absolutely fantastic and it worked so well because you could have these two incredibly ambitious and interesting women with wildly different backgrounds and super interesting different personalities, to see them on the screen together and doing stuff together was great. It was so good, and their fights were so funny. And it was just, it was just brilliant. But every time she turned up on the screen, I did a little hand clap.
1: <laughs> and now we've got the biggest surprise of the lot which was now this was so much of a surprise that Vincent D'Onofrio does listen to this hello Vincent so he's heard episodes where people have said I really wish they'd bring him back but I can't see that happening he has kept so quiet about this Kingpin, Wilson Fisk from the Netflix series reappearing from nowhere as the big bad in this I was just so thrilled by that especially because it came out the episode that he first appeared in was released on the same day as Spider-Man No Way Home which Daredevil reappears in. Clearly, you know, all those people are were shouting for ages, they're not canon, you know, like, well, nobody agrees with you at any point ever. But I really love the fact that he's lost none of his complexity. I mean, Bert and Bertie have said that, as far as they're concerned, they were just picking up from the end of Daredevil on Netflix. Then it's the same character. Vincent said it's the same character and he should know because he's playing him. So anyone who's still saying, oh, it's, it's an new version, it's a soft reboot, stop being ridiculous. I love the fact that he's still got the same complexity, you're not quite sure that he does want to kill Clint as revenge for destroying his crime empire. That he might want to use him the way he uses other people. There's that astonishing fight he has with Kate where, this is my interpretation of it, she will not back down. He does not want to hurt her, but she is in his way and won't get out. And you can tell the way he plays it, there is frustration that he's having to physically face up against this young woman who he has got the up hand against from the outset it's just brilliant you know the way he is like I can't believe I'm having to do this why are you making me do this yeah and
0: it is the third time in the show that you find how irritating older men find younger women
1: yes you know because
0: Jack does it Clint does it and then Fisk does it too how irritating they find this young woman getting in his way I thought the fight scene was very good I had an inkling that he was going to rob. Uh-huh. But it was purely because you just kept hearing the word big every time you heard the word boss. There was
1: Fat Man Autos where the trucks and Mafia and that as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I had a tickle, but it was still really great to see Vincent because he is a great actor. The thing that really, really struck me was his relationship with Maya was more interesting for me because he was clearly working in two minds. He clearly had a great deal of love and admiration for the girl as he saw her, but he also was extremely conflicted because he knew that how what he had to do and how he had to treat her was to treat her as a tool, and it definitely had a big Thanos thing for me yes, absolutely it had really load, loads of echoes of Thanos there for me about the conflict of feeling love for some something it, almost seeing those characters as pets rather than people, and when they come back as people understanding mm. that some of that comeback is real and valid. But you still have to crush them. And I found that fascinating. Because again, similar to Maya having to act through her face a lot. Fisk had to act through his face a lot as well. Mm. Because he had to say words he clearly didn't believe in his face. And that was very fine. Very fine acting. For so late in the day in the show as well. Really good.
1: Well I'm now wondering. Because they're clearly going to do more with Wilson Fisk. I'm just going to say my prediction is going to be. Because we're finding out what happened to people during the snap. Which anyone who's listened to the Ant-Man and the Wasp episode will have heard me saying I think they're just gonna draw a line under it Mm -hmm. no they appear to be going into it and I wonder if they'll go down the line of yeah admittedly it's from Secret Empire which is a different comic sort of line altogether but the whole thing about when America was like very much against the wall socially was Wilson Fisk had to use in inverted commas his ability of being a crime boss to make sure that everyone was fed and clothed Mm -hmm. and is there gonna be because you know he has that moral ambiguity like Thanos like you say like you know he thinks that you can do bad to act in the greater good yeah. are we going to see because that would be a great storyline for them to explore
0: it would and wasn't there an element of that in the Bucky show where the wasn't I oh, see I'm going to It's I, that the next it? musical no, I can't remember it the Falcon <laughs> yeah. and the Winter Soldier wasn't there an element of the person that was the terrorist in that was also looking at sort of redistribution of wealth yeah and I know they're tricky concepts for American people because it kind of goes down that line of communism quite quickly but I guess for a lot of people that's actually just a community isn't it so I wonder if they're going to play with some of those ideas again about what the American dream is it kind of suits Fisk more than the lady in Bucky and the Winter Soldier, I think. Probably because he's more relatable and it's more obvious that he's a bad person and that his methodologies aren't great. But yeah, that'd be very interesting. There's some really interesting ideas to explore there, definitely.
1: And just before we get onto the whole Christmas side of it, the final surprise in it was part of Clint's motivation was to get back a watch that had been sold at auction. It turned out to be a shield watch belonging to Agent 19, which he then presented back to Laura, his wife. Now, this is interesting because... Hawkeye, the comics character, as in Clint rather than Kate, that would be a whole can of words, is actually married to Bobby Morse, Mockingbird, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, who had been in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. played by Adrian Palicki, and I hope they bring her back because she was brilliant. There had been this question mark about, well, why has he got this other wife? And people now say, how's that going to fit together? But, having recently watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I can tell you, they never refer to Bobby as Agent 19. So, maybe there's more than one Mockingbird in the same way that, you know, I mean, it's to do with the tools they use, in the same way there's more than one Black Widow, rather than it being one person.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm really glad you told me all of that, because the Watcher felt like a bit of a thug. Throw away, you know, a bit of a MacGuffin at the beginning Mm. to me, and occasionally I'd go back and go, why are they still talking about this bloody watch? For (laughs) Christ's sake. And then when he gave it to her at the end, I kind of went, oh, they're clearly wrapping something up there, but have Mm -hmm. I missed something? And I thought to myself, do I need to go back and watch this show again to understand what this watch is about? And then I just thought I can't be bothered, as much (laughs) as I enjoyed the show. so I'm really glad you told me what that was about, but it actually also helps explain why she's such an understanding wife. Because she's clearly had her own life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Linda Cardellini is an actress that deserves more than just being a wife. So it'd be really nice if they do something else with Hawkeye or something else where she's brought in a little bit more and she's got a little bit more to do. Because she's got a genuine backstory. I can't fault that at all. But yeah, I was like, watch... And in fact, I said to you before we started this, I had two questions for you, and one of them was, what was going on with that bloody watch? <laughs> you can look forward to the next question.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I'm wondering if they might do something where she's called back into service and has like a kind of rivalry with a slightly younger Bobby as well, which would be
0: That would be great. interesting. And, you know, if it's Adrian Palacki and Linda Cardellini in a fight... <laughs> I'm
1: with Adrian all the way <laughs> so got to mention two things that really elevated this it was Rogers the Musical which I loved the way it was done not just it was done like a great musical but also the, the details like that terrible Hulk costume the fact Ant-Man's in it even though he wasn't in that particular piece of action in the movies and you know Clint's there in the audience saying that guy wasn't even there I'd love to see the rest of Rogers the Musical and find out you know how they dealt with his list that he made the things he had to catch up on and catch America, the Winter Soldier. You know, did they do a song about that?
0: I mean, I thought they cast it was <laughs> really, really well. You could just see that, you know, in a certain light. The, all of those characters Hulk aside could have been looky likes yes. Avengers, <laughs> which was quite fun but the thing that was irritating me was the man with the red thing on his t-shirt because I I heard Clint sort of do the throwaway line at the beginning and I was like I don't know what that is <laughs> I don't know who that's supposed to be and I kept thinking is it the Flash and then I kept thinking I'm in the wrong universe <laughs> what is it so it's Ant-Man that was my second yes. question yes yeah. it's Ant-Man i not a huge fan of musicals but I do have to go to them quite a lot because my husband is and I would say that I think the Avengers musical would actually be quite a lot better than that these days (laughs) I think the visual effects and the costumes that people can do in the theatre now are pretty impressive I don't think you just have have a little cloud going along on string in the background and I, I don't Hulk would have to smash polystyrene. It was a fun idea I liked it very much and I think there are probably a few song and dance people mm. in the Avengers that would probably with their tongue in their cheek mm. go and sing one of those songs on Broadway.
1: <laughs> 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 and the other thing to finally mention is just how good it was as a Christmas thing the way it used it so well I mean because you know previously they've done what Iron Man 3's set at Christmas and it doesn't really come mm. into it it's just like you know snow and carols occasionally even the comics themselves you know the stories they did, the Christmas ones, were always like joke ones, which if anyone's heard the episode they did with Mick Wright about the Christmas special of the X-Men cartoon, which again, I had to sit and think about what can we do for a Christmas special. In that, no, I do talk about the fact that it's always kind of like Spider-Man and the Green Goblin have to team up to give presents to (laughs) (laughs) disadvantaged Children and say, it's only because it's Christmas, I'll get you on Boxing Day, that sort of thing. But they used it almost like it was a character in its own, right? It's that whole big American rassle-dazzle Christmas, you know, the candy canes, the sort of thing about, whereas, you know, with something like Friends, if they had people skating outside the Rockefeller building, it'd just be like the background to some dialogue, but in this, you know, anything they use like that is part of the action. Nothing is just there for the sake
0: of it. Yeah, I completely agree. And I've been in New York at that time of year. So have I. (laughs) It is genuinely quite magical around the Rockefeller Mm. Centre. You know, the tree and what they did with it, the ice skating rink and what they did with it. But even sort of kind of using some of the special effects of the arrows to kind of create Christmas lights and Christmas Mm. sparkle and even though it's quite violent because it's killing henchmen, but it really suited it. It was really charming. And it did genuinely have the same Christmas feel that Home Alone had. That you're in this amazing sparkly city, and that everybody's in a sweet mood because it's Christmas, and the really strong focus on family and a sort of a reasonably realistic depiction of a family did make it feel more Christmassy. I thought it was wonderful, to be honest.
1: And also, the very clever way they use classic Christmas show tunes and yeah. pop songs. In particular, the thing that <laughs> I really loved was using You're a Mom, Mr. Cringe.
0: Oh, that way King <brilliant>. Yeah, it had a great rhythm, actually, and, uh, you know, to, mm. to, 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 to choreograph all the fighting. And too, there's, yeah, like,
1: so. Christmas in Holidays as a sort of diehard joke, and, you know, sweet gingerbread man, <laughs> things like that. I can see this being promoted as a kind of, like,
0: holiday staple, which yeah, it kind of deserves to be. Yeah, me mm. too, totally. I would happily re-watch this at Christmas. <laughs> Do more of it. Mm. Brilliant.
1: Okay, so there's only one thing left for me to ask now. Vicky, if you had the selection of trick arrows, what would you use them for?
0: Ooh, now they I'm expecting question.
1: to say fire them at Jeremy rather for a bit of continuity.
0: <laughs> I'm going to give Jeremy a pass. I think he could have been much worse in this. And actually, it was okay. I don't love him and I don't want anybody to think I'm a fan. But I am going to give him a pass on this. If I had a trick arrow, I think what I would do is I would use it to catch me up where I've gotten a bit behind. <laughs> <laughs> so if I was just about to miss the train, I'd use that trick arrow to drive. <laughs> to drag me along to the train so I could catch the train. Because I just feel like I'm always a couple of minutes behind where I need to be. And I think that would be fine and dandy.
1: Well, then usually I'm going to chip in with one of my own here oh, because yeah. I've been thinking about this, which is I'd use kind of Dark Industries technology powered one that could fire things into space. Fire it at Boris Johnson and see if all of his cabinet were saying, oh, if you look, it's actually closer to Earth than <laughs> the to space. See how they wriggle out of that one. So, yeah, that, that's the true meaning of Christmas for me. <laughs> yes,
0: absolutely.
1: And I think if you did that with the Grinch soundtrack, you'd be about there. Yeah. <laughs> I hear he says something libelous <laughs> then. thank you and excelsior. Thank you. <laughs> If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good to Accept It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.